Hello and welcome to Between the Mountains, supported by Sidetracked Magazine. Today's episode is with Kate Seelman. Now, Kate is a mountaineering and trekking coach and she's incredible at it. She's also someone who is so accomplished in adventure and the world of the outdoors. And she's clearly driven by being a better person, experiencing these limits and testing herself and ultimately just becoming an even better mother. We dive into all sorts of things, including the above. We talk about fear and risk. We talk about Scotland, its vibe and its juicy people. And you'll, you'll know what that means later. We talk about Elbrus and Kilimanjaro, the sacred mountain. It's a brilliant episode. It was such, such a pleasure just to sit back and have a chat with Kate. And if you're coming from the field journal from Sidetracked, the newsletter, then welcome. Hope you enjoy it. And if you are here for the podcast, then if you haven't heard of Sidetracked magazine, I'm not quite sure what's going on, but check out the links in the show notes uh, to check out Sidetracked, register for their free weekly newsletter about all things adventure, and more importantly, have a look at their magazine too, which just brings inspiring tales, stunning photography. Just, it's, it's my favorite thing. I look forward to every single every single issue. But give it a check out. Check out Kate's links too, where she offers just free tips on training. And if you're interested, you can obviously chat with her about more. And she's also got a book too, I'll put in the, in the description. Well worth having a look at that as well. But that's enough of a list of things to do. <laughs> Let's just jump into the episode and have a listen. I hope you enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Kate, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, really good. Thanks, Chris. And you? Yes. Yeah, doing, doing well. I think we were just chatting about my, my hectic morning on my end, but we're, we're here for it and we're doing it. So, so yeah, yeah. I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to diving in, actually, because you, you're, I, I found out about you because my, my friend sent, out, sent me across a, a couple of stories that you've done and then a couple of reels um, with some training tips just before we went to Scotland. Uh, and he basically just gave me gave me this the alarm of saying this person knows what they're talking about so um you know you listen more you watch it a bit more and, and the stuff you put out there is absolute gold um so yeah it's a pleasure having you on yeah thank you very much for coming on yeah it's only to do my very first podcast ever with you I feel it's an exciting start <laughs> yeah well I, I feel honored I feel honored the pleasure's mine um so I, I kind of wanted to really um like a lot of people do um uh, I kind of wanted to really step right back to the start, you know, right before any of this really kicked off growing up, um, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, growing up in your book, uh, you know, growing up in a landlocked country uh, with not many mountains. And now here we are being a specific mountain and trekking uh, PT. I mean, other PTing as well, but um, yeah, that that's, that's quite a step from no mountains to knowing so much and having accomplished so much. So what, what was it like growing up? Yeah. Oh, it was, so, it was so much fun growing up in Zimbabwe. It was, we spent, you know, I was climbing to some extent. I just didn't know it. And at the time it was climbing trees <laughs> as opposed to rocks. <laughs> uh, but it was just such a fun, adventurous childhood, you know. And, and when I was little, anyone who asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? I had always said that I wanted to be an explorer. And I think in some way that has happened for me you know that everything I've done has led to this led to this exploration of mountaineering and trekking and how we physiologically adapt as we go down that route um 
But Joe, my childhood was idyllic. I have to say, I spent it building forts and um, building fires so that I could smoke, <laughs> so that my parents didn't didn't smell the cigarette smoke on me. Um, I was really really a naughty kid growing up, but you know, within the, within a good boundary, not not the really naughty stuff, not the harmful stuff. Um, which again, I think led to like that adventurous spirit. I was allowed to just be, um, and it definitely contributed to who I am today. Yeah. I, I mean, we, we've talked, uh, you know, long time listeners of the, of the podcast. We know we, there's been many conversations where we kind of chatted about, um, and, and I can relate to this, just think, like you said, not even realizing just different moments that ultimately build this adventurous mindset. Not so much, you know, a bit like what I'm doing with my kid, which is saying we are hiking a mountain today. <laughs> you know, it, it's just li- little things that like build that pathway, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Interesting to know your thoughts behind this one. So, you know, we, we are both people who have grown up not with huge hills, not with huge mountains around us. What do you think it is about big mountains that draw people like us towards them? Honestly, I think it's it's diving deep into what you're capable of. No one climbs a mountain for comfort. No one, it's 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 not a comfortable thing. It is strenuous. It is highly, depending on what you're doing, it can be highly distressing. Um, and I think, I honestly think the draw of it is the physical challenge that to see how far you can go, you know, to learn new things along the way. And to go so far out of your day-to-day life, you know, because we're so, we're so boxed in and, you know, what we do Monday to Friday, you know, we work these certain hours, we do these certain things. And then you go out onto a mountain and it's just so freeing. You know, there's no, there's no boxes. There's, you know, mountains accept you as you are, you, you know, you could be rich or poor, you know, female or male. And that actually doesn't matter. What matters is, that moment on a mountain. And I think so much of us miss being present in our day-to-day life and going climbing, mountaineering, trekking gives us that chance to be present because if you're not present, you will trip, you know, God forbid you fall um, and you have no choice but to be present. So I think it's a combination of, of a physical challenge you know, the chance to overcome something and, you know, really knuckle down on what's important and be present in your life. Yeah, strips it all back, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was just talking to a client this morning about, you know, gratitude. There's, you don't appreciate a hot meal <laughs> like you do after a long day's trek or climb. I mean, it could be a, a, a freeze-dried meal. It could be a can of beans. But that shit has never tasted so good. <laughs> yeah, that is spot on. Uh, we um we camped. Um, uh, my my friend and I, the 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 very guy who um recommended yourself. Um, him, myself, and two others. We camped in Wales on top of a mountain, and the wind just came in like mad. And we'd already we'd already spent the day doing Kribgok and Snowden. Um. And then we we camped and the wind was battering us. Um, you know, my tent was basically a big sail <laughs> um, compared to my my friend's tent, which was really lovely intertwined with poles crisscrossing and felt so much more secure. And in that morning when we woke up, uh, they came in with a fast boil, put, uh, poured some water in. And all we had was a, a little pot of Quaker oats 
and my god that was like the best thing i've eaten all day like ever <laughs> yeah it makes you feel really grateful yeah like gratitude yeah. and perspective is it, it comes and leaps and bounds in those moments i think yeah and in, on an instinctual level you know because when you're mountaineering you're trekking you're climbing the main thing is that you're safe you know and that you you are you know it is ingrained in us to look after ourselves you know and to slow down and appreciate just you know the feeling of having food in your tummy or a warm meal or the safety of a nylon you know nylon fabric between you and the elements um it's just you know it's at a different level to you know the things that we experience in our in most of our lives in a very comfortable um sheltered environment yeah and in uh, fact actually we, we we um someone who's been on the podcast before luke mel he's based in alaska and he said some of the more e- extraneous endurance based mountain things he's done he said you go so long and, and your food is it, you know you're in a deficit the whole day yeah. he said it's incredible and fascinating when you have something to eat and you can actually feel the effect of that piece of food you just had at that moment and i, I think that's just being that in tune with your body isn't something you get you know for, for yeah. me sat on my desk each day i can have a few coffees and then i'm dizzy without realizing it <laughs> yeah yeah exactly you don't get that, that kind of hunger you know like a mm. physical and mental hunger mm. at home because things are just so well looked after and so comfortable um i think that's such a powerful thing about monsignor and drinking so that kind of leads us nicely to your first ever um at least big mountain i don't know i'd be interested to know if there were some smaller ones that maybe influenced your decision uh but but again drawing, drawing us back to that but you know the beginning of that book uh your client said hey want to climb kilimanjaro and you're like yeah sure let's go for it <laughs> what what kind of things influenced you uh saying yes like did you even realize like what you had then signed up to at that point I had no idea, honestly, no idea. I was, uh, I had recently broken up with a long-term, long-term boyfriend who was also a business partner at the time, and we had split the business. And I didn't have anything planned for the following year. And of course, um, you know, I was feeling pretty, pretty miserable about my life. And a client just said to me, "I'd really like to climb Kilimanjaro. Do you want to do it with me?" And I just thought, "Ah, fuck it. You know, I haven't got anything planned. <laughs> Let's go." You know, I understand the sports science part of it. So you could say, Kate, I want to go and do a rowing, you know, row for 24 hours or speed climb something, you know, that I understand from the sports science perspective of how to prepare for it. So even though, you know, it was a seemingly random yes, you know, I still was very confident about how to prepare for for the challenge. So, um, you know, it was stepping into the unknown, but also being comfortable with the knowledge that I had. Um, but yeah, it really was by accident that, that moment. <laughs> Had you ever been to that sort of altitude before? No, never, 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 never. I hadn't even, unfortunately I hadn't even done Snowden or like Ben Nevis, nothing, you know, cause I was in London at the time and yeah, I hadn't even, hadn't even thought of it, unfortunately, because it would have saved me a lot of time and money if I'd lived in London and was able to go up and down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's definitely some unique climbing in, in the UK. It's not quite uh, oh. killy, is it? <laughs> so, oh, no, no. Yeah, I, I think 
the 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 nice thing especially as far as the training grounds go for the uk is that because there's not the altitude aspect you can absolutely knack yourself and all you need to do is give it five ten minutes uh and then you can yeah. you can you know go for the next bit whereas you know <laughs> i've only ever done kazbek as a big mountain uh and and rest and recovery was so important you know like yeah, yeah. You, and and when you get to the top of somewhere you, well you need a bit more longer than five or ten minutes <laughs> to, to sort of get <laughs> <Yeah>. your breath back <laughs> so kilimanjaro first one then uh, you, you talk you, you mentioned uh a fair fair amount about some of the mistakes that were made on that mountain but w- was there anything that you did that you thought that's that's good i've done that quite well uh, anything that, that came to mind while you're on there well there was actually something before then um the same client and i went to peru and we did um a high altitude trek along the asangate route and that's it was mountain. it was stunning but yeah i was a complete beginner and did everything wrong i mean everything i you know, traveled in some really nice clothes and I didn't pack anything in my hand luggage. And of course, my my bags didn't make it, which has happened to me a lot in my lifetime. I've since learned. And we had this two week trek and I had zero gear, zero. <laughs> <laughs> like travel on the flight with flip flops. I mean, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> and so there was a lot that I learned from that and same the training for that. Um, that really shaped how I prepared for Kelly and how I helped my client prepare. Although there was still a lot that I did wrong for Kelly. Um, if I had, you know, I, I got really bad altitude sickness kind of on the summit night push, vomiting, hallucinating. And honestly, if, if someone had told me those symptoms now, I would have said to them, you need to get down. It's like, it's, just, it's a bad idea. It's not worth it. Um, so that's probably my biggest mistake because that's just so irresponsible um, yeah. to be in that state and to have not seen the warning signs. Um, other mistakes and other things I did really well, definitely the training aspect. It was good. It wasn't wasn't obviously what it is now, but it was still good. I was kind of picking up the breadcrumbs as to how this high altitude mountaineering training thing was working. Um, and I remember coming down from Kelly and had a little notebook and I wrote down the things that went really well and the things that didn't work really well. Uh, and I had, I knew from the trip in Peru that I had stumbled on this thing that I was so deeply passionate and in love with. I just took to it like a mountain goat. Um, and so I subconsciously started making these lists without knowing where I would end up. Um, but yeah, Kelly was definitely a baptism of fire in terms of altitude because, you know, there was very little mm, blogs and things that made sense at the time. Um, this kind of, there was this huge gap between you're either a professional mountaineer or, or climber or whatever. And you say, right, if you want to get fit for it, go and spend more time on the mountain, which for people who live in the city, that's just not an option. You know, or there was on the complete other side where, you know, you talk to a PT and they'd say, oh, cool. Yeah, I'll send you a you know, PDF document. And it says, do some running, maybe do a few squats, you know, and it was nothing specific. And I noticed there and then that there was this huge gap for people who wanted to pursue these things and try them, but didn't have the knowledge and found both sides, both camps vague and 
completely unhelpful. Mm. Unhelpful, unhelpful, unhelpful. Yeah. Yeah, because I think your standard gym bro split isn't going to really directly translate. You know, doing doing four sets of 12 bicep curls isn't... No. <laughs> isn't directly <laughs> the best thing to do for for carrying weight up a mountain i think you know <laughs> goats aren't yeah, having out cars either <laughs> no it's, it's better than nothing um yeah. but i think people invest so much time and money into these pursuits that if you're going to do it then you know do it properly like really get into it and commit well i kind of wanted to ask you as well is there i mean i know everyone's different so everyone learns uh and, and will learn in, in completely different ways. But do you think there's a balance between having the information provided and learned like through a PT or through a book mixed with just getting out there and doing it and, and, and actually learning hands-on? Do you think that there's a, there's a fine balance between the two that people need to find? Absolutely. Absolutely. Certainly from the technical side, you know, you can watch a thousand videos on how to tie a figure eight knot. But if you don't actually do it, if you don't do it in horrendous conditions, your hands are freezing, you know, you're, you've made yourself the tiniest ledge, so you're freaking out that you're going to fall, you know, and if you haven't actually put the theory into practice, it's just theory, it's just information in your brain, you know, the, the movement in your fingers, the ability to feel and know, you know, tightness, and is it is that too too long or there's definitely to some extent stuff that you can do at home without having the actual practical experience. But then there's very much a line at which point you need to be actually in the mountains doing stuff like that. Um, and in the same kind of conditions that you would face. Um, I'm sure you've seen like on Instagram, I've got a lot of videos about simulating mountain environment into some of your training, you know, incorporating balance, um, you know, different using your backpack and things like that. But at the same time, when you're doing a lunge onto some, you know, strange thing to incorporate balance, you don't, you're, you're at home. You don't have to worry about slipping down the slope. You don't have to worry about maybe you're tied in with your guide and he's moving too fast and you're being tugged along. You don't have to worry about the conditions. So you can prepare to a certain, a certain line. But then once you go over it, there's so much more that you, yes, you only can gain from actually being outdoors. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and you, you know, we talk about getting getting more hands on, and, and as time goes by, you know, even just last night, you put up a picture of you uh, being on Albrus um, in in 2016, or, or next to Albrus. I think technically the photo is. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, 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 like, is there anything you can tell us about that trip? That's uh, that's that's just a nice nice tale of adventure or lessons or. Of all of all, you know, of all the high altitude adventures I've done, that was the worst. I have to say, like I, I've, I've all the peaks and things and routes that I've done, I would joyfully go back and do all of them again. Albrus is not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> what was it about it that really just didn't tick the box? I don't know. It was just like the, you know, like Scotland's got such a vibe, like. The mountaineering culture and like the people is just so juicy and like heart filled. You're saying with Killy, um, but oh, it's gonna sound terrible, but uh Albrus didn't have that. <laughs> it was very much like everyone for themselves. Uh no one gives a shit about anyone else. And it was just so a lot of ego in it, actually. Mm. Um, and just 
Yeah, it wasn't it, it it wasn't a joyful experience, I have to say. And I, you know, I'm very capable of turning even the shittiest situation into a joyful situation. And that I had no chance. <laughs> yeah, we, we all get those moments where like, like even even sarcastically trying to find a silver lining is it's difficult. <laughs> Not the one. Well, I mean, to be fair, if you're gonna if you're gonna snag off any mountain, that's in a country where I think topically we're allowed to at the moment. So um (laughs) so yeah i mean it's not like anyone's going to be going back there anytime soon but but yeah it's such a shame because i mean you you look at uh kilimanjaro you look at elbrus you look at aconcagua which we can jump onto as well um and and almost almost looks like you're set for a seven summits sort of sort of approach um is that was that consciously what you were doing or when i was younger yes i thought that's it i'm gonna go for seven summits i'm gonna put my name on it and you know and as i've gone down down this this journey, I realized it's so much more than that. It's so much more than a title or to be able to say I've done this. You know, so many people don't know, like, what aspects of mountaineering do you love? Mm. You know, what do you really enjoy doing? It's not just about why I climbed Elbrest or, you know, what, like, like there's a route on Mont Blanc. I'm going to pronounce it wrong. And I would love to do Mont Blanc but I want to do it along that route. And I'm not, I'm technically speaking, I'm not there yet, definitely not. But to be able to look at a mountain and choose something based on the things that really, really bring you joy and um, fulfill you, you know, and and help you gain experience rather than saying, oh, why climb the seven summits? Like, okay, well, what did you love about it? Mm. You know, what, what really got you excited the seven summits yeah exactly because if you like altitude there's a lot of similar high height mountains that will be a lot cheaper (laughs) a lot cheaper less people um you get more that feeling of wild and remote as well yeah which which i know for me that's what i enjoy Uh, but the downside of wanting wild and remote is that you have to go quite far to get (laughs) therefore to get wild and remote so it's quite long journeys but um yeah i mean you have to give it you have to give us the pronunciation of that that route on mont blanc uh into the pure tree integral i'm gonna write down phonetically (laughs) it's definitely integral and it's from the italian side basically once you get into it and once you commit there is no there are no escape routes there's no exits you are either going forward or you are running with your tail your tail between your legs backwards um it's highly technical, and I think there's there's one kind of place where you could bivy, but otherwise it's exposed and it's just, you know, you, you're in Probably it. You've got to commit and go, go all the way. Um, I mean, oh, God, it gives me goosies thinking about it. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, it kind of it leads us quite nicely into something I wanted to dive into, really, which is, um, you know, what are the whys of adventure for you you know what's the what's the what's the drive what's the reason what's the what's what's that fire based in you know is it is it something um is it a particular landscape you look for or a certain feeling you you, you seek or just everything or you know what is it that makes you get up and do this so that i oh my get tearful so <laughs> that i can be a better mom and wife i know it sounds cheesy but you know, my my family are everything to me and pursuing these adventures makes me a better mom and it makes me a better wife because I get so much perspective on life 
going out and doing these things. And, you know, you come home and you realize so much more about life. And I know that, you know, it's the, it's not just the, the actual peak. It's the whole buildup to it. It's, you know, I feel when you have a goal to work towards, whether it's climbing mountains or running a marathon, you know, you, you become so much more in the process. You become such a better person in so many ways. Each day that you get up and you don't want to do it, but you do your goddamn training session, you are voting for yourself and you are dedicating the time and worth to yourself, you know, which, and of course the physical aspect, you become healthier and all of that, but you are also overcoming each moment you overcome, you overcome and you become, you develop the sense of self-belief and confidence that I'm yet to find outside of a physical pursuit, you know, and while all of that is happening, you are becoming a better person, whether that's for your, your husband or wife or kids or neighbor or just for yourself you know all of this is about becoming more and becoming better and whether you find that in mountaineering or a marathon or going on a walk every day you know the point is that you're constantly trying to be better and be more and have and have a really solid meaning behind that and for me honestly it's it's my husband and my girls I just want to be the best mom and the best wife that I can be and having these physical pursuits helps me fulfill that. Yeah, spot on. I've I've mentioned before, and I'm a big believer of this, that you can't tell your children how to live. You need to show them how to live. And there is zero point sacrificing who you are to spend like more mathematical time with your children. When if you start, if you start losing who you are and you're not being your best version, what is that time spent worth? You know, I know a lot of parents who say they're with their kid. You know, one thing that really ticks me off is that if they call being with their kid babysitting the children, like that really ticks me off. But, you know, if you're sat on your phone in the same room, that's not being with your kids. Um, you know, and I would I would take, you know, occasionally needing to go away and do something and then coming back and being that better person. Uh, and even even just yeah. training. I, I know I'm a better father when I go for a run in the morning. <laughs> and then the rest of the day i'm active and i'm doing stuff and i'm I'm engaged so yeah i'm completely on board with you there yeah i had a the summer last year obviously the alps it was an awful season for pretty much everyone and it was it was too hot and we had just climbed with a guide and we had just climbed summited castor and we were coming down and we were moving across and navigating through a crevasse field and he stood edge of crevasse went over i stood in his exact footprints and it cracked and I fell in I must have fallen about a meter and a half and I immediately heard my daughter's voices uh it was even now my palms sweat when I think about it it was an awful experience and um you know I I we very quickly retreated off the mountain after that because I just wasn't in the mental space and I got home and I said to my husband that's it I'm hanging my boots up I you know this is ridiculous and Shortly after, um, do you remember Hillary Hillary Nelson? She she passed away. She was climbing Manaslu and had an accident and died. And she also had two kids. And it took me about three or four months to kind of mentally process that. And what I was doing, what am I doing with this? Like the danger that that is associated with it. 
and especially being a mom to two kids. And I just had this moment one day when I was looking at the girls and I thought, what example am I setting to them being afraid of what if? I would, you know, God forbid the girls grow up thinking, oh, I can't do that. You know, what if something bad happens? Well, what if something amazing happens? You know, we are, are the media and everything around us is like, it's going to be bad. It's going to be dramatic and terrible. What if it's amazing? And in that moment, I realized, you know, of course, there's a line between what's acceptable risk and what's not. And that risk has very much changed for me since I've had kids. But to show the example of who to be and how to live your life, I do not want the girls to grow up being fearful. Uh, and it comes back to what you said about, you know, setting the example for them. It's so much more powerful than saying, well, we do this and we don't do that. You know, set the example for them and let them follow mm-hmm. if they choose to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's actually a really, you know, beautiful segue into something I wanted to ask. And we, we even sort of, we've kind of, we, we hinted that we would talk about this. You know, you, you've gone from setting up bonfires to high smoking, <laughs> To uh, all the all the way through to having an epiphany about falling into a um, crevasse, uh, you, how has acceptable risk changed for you over the years? Because I'm I'm sure even when you knew what you were doing but hadn't had children yet, even that's a different level of acceptable risk for you. So, well, definitely in the beginning it was reckless. I would say, um, you know, coming back to that Kilimanjaro story about getting altitude sickness. Um, It was young and reckless without knowing, without knowing that that was a risky moment and I should have made a different decision. But I was young and reckless and thought, ah, fuck it. You know, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. You know, and as things have gone on and as I've gained knowledge, you know, that has shaped my risk assessment through only through knowledge, only through knowing what is right and what is wrong, what something should feel like, what something should look like. You know, and as I've kind of transitioned in, into a mum, it becomes about, yes, I want to set an example for my kids, but there's also very much a fine line of if something were to happen, would it be worth it? You know, and for me, obviously, I am not on the throw caution to the wind and just climb whatever and, you know, if something tragic happens and something tragic happens, um they you know I, I climbed Dent de a couple of years ago and it was really my first kind of taste into into a technical peak and it was going beautifully we got to the pillar I was with a guide and there was a bunch of teams it was super windy as we came around that pillar Jesus Christ I mean the, the, unbelievable just blast of wind and a team went up ahead of us. There was a team trying to come down. So there they were literally like five or six different ropes, a couple of them the same color. There was so much going on. It was too much. And my guide went off. Some team tried to overtake us. It was just chaotic. And we got up the first pitch and I just said to him, you know what? This is a bad idea. This is a, I, I am not experienced enough to be here right now. Because it was just too much. There was too much, too much going on, too much information. The, the elements were too much. And I think if I didn't have kids, I probably would have thought, ah, it'll be fine. Let's just push on. You know, and, and 
in that moment is just not worth it. Um, and so, you know, we came back down and I do plan on going back. <laughs> yeah, well, it's <laughs> not better time, there, is it? <laughs> no, exactly. Um, but yeah, my, my risk assessment has developed with knowledge and experience and is very much um, has a boundary built up around it called my family. Yeah, I like that phrase. Is it worth it? That's yeah. That's a really good way to encap- encapsulate just having a, having a little uh, just a spot check. <laughs> just think, all right, yeah, okay, yeah, these exactly. things have happened. Is it worth it? And you know, actually, there's we we had Rebecca Coles on many episodes ago, and she is she's a fantastic woman who's done a few first ascents, and she's leading an all all woman team to climb all the highest peaks in the Alps. And it, it, honestly, it's, it's incredible. And she she specifically said she will push her boundaries on familiar routes but when she does a first yeah. ascent she chooses something that's within her skill capability and and i think that's a really interesting way of uh really interesting way of approaching these things and you know and you look at that that route was pushing what you could have done and if the elements were better and no one was being a bit kind of i know it's questionable etiquette overtaking there's there's a i think there's a time and a place <laughs> usually not <laughs> um and and yeah, I think that's the right call. You know, is is this worth it right now? It's not going anywhere, and yeah. you still would have learned to that point as well. Like, yeah, you know, there's, there's still a lot to learn, even in not achieving whatever the, oh, the fabricated yeah. goal was that day. <laughs> yeah, even that, even getting over your ego in that moment and being okay with, you know, what I didn't make it, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, you know, I think so. That comes down to defining what success and failure means to means to you and failure to me is not learning something as long as i every time i work with a guide the first thing i do when they say you know what's your objective and i just say i just want to learn i walk away being able to point out on my fingers these are all the things that i've learned you know it doesn't matter whether for me whether you make it to the summit whether you don't as long as you've walked away having learned something and become a better mountaineer in the process then that's perfect making the summit is just you know it's the bonus on top i mean it's what when we're, when we're talking about those those tough moments as well uh, something that really interests me is fear um mm-hmm. and and you know like so so f- for me you know segueing it from parenting into fear when i when i climbed kazbek um I, there were many times i had nerves set in specifically when we stepped onto the glacier proper for the first time um and i was thinking about crevasses specifically about penny and, and i just had this mindset of, of like i'm i'm not not coming home <laughs> like whatever happens oh, I'm, go- I'm gonna get back but on the way down we walked through um basically a rockfall field and that was the, that was the only time i actually got scared and, and you know i think about it I, I, it was because i couldn't control anything with crevasses i can think right we've got fantastic guides they know what they're doing. I'm following them. I'm going to try and mimic their steps. Thankfully, we can see a lot of where these cracks are. So we're okay. That bit's done. I'm on the rope. We had the training. Sweet. Done. Tick. You know, there's so much you can go through. But with the rock fall, the guy literally turned around, looked at a crampon that was falling off my friend's foot. And he said, we have to keep moving. And and I was just like, oh, man, like this isn't this isn't a nice place to be. But, you know, it comes part and part with being in the wild. But that was the only time I was scared because I couldn't control anything. So no. I, I mean, f- for you, when you when you get these moments when you're climbing and and fear kicks in, is there is there a certain process in the way that you deal with it? Or 
Yeah, definitely. And it's actually something something I'm working on at the moment about the mental and emotional management in mountaineering because it is very much management. It's like a child. If you let it run wild, it'll cause fucking chaos. <laughs> like you need to, you know, put pillars and like con- kind of confine that those emotions and feelings because they do build up. And if you let them go, they impact your decisions, they impact your movement, and they put you at risk. Um, you know, there's I call it a rating system, but it's basically for me, if a feeling comes up. Once it hits a five, I need to deal with it, a five out of 10, you know, whether that's fear, doubt, anything like that, that once it gets to a certain point, it can no longer just like take up space in my brain. I'll stop. Okay. Okay. I'm feeling fear. The first thing I do is you can do a breathing technique that calms your nervous system and it's two inhales through your nose and a long exhale through your mouth, like you're blowing out a candle about a meter away from you. And that physiologically calms your nervous system. So if I do that and, you know, the fear is still building, I'll stop because there's a reason why we feel feel fear and look around, okay, what, what is causing me to feel this way? And if there is, for example, like the rock fall, you know, stuff that you can't predict, you know, there's a reason why you're feeling that. This is not a good idea. Okay, well, then assess. I have to go through this rock fall. There's no way out or there's no way back. Okay, calm yourself, you know, get your shit together, really, and move with a really focused and purpose, purposeful, in a really focused and purposeful manner. Um, if it's just fear building for not irrational reasons, but just um, small reasons, then, you know, it's about talking yourself through it. Like, I've got this, you know, I often list things that I've done that I've overcome before. Um, And then I often find once you start moving and you get focused into the movement, I think about, okay, like, you know, how do my ice axes feel? You know, I think about as the ice axe goes into the snow or ice, I think, oh, that that feels good. Okay. And it's like I'm commentating the movie in my mind that's actually happening. Hmm. And you slowly kind of like work your way out of that fear. But I would have said the biggest thing is to have a rating system for yourself, what's acceptable and what's not. And for me, a five out of 10, once emotion starts to get to that point, I need to calm down, <laughs> reassess, because if you let it run wild, it will cause fucking chaos. <laughs> I really like that analogy. Because <laughs> yeah. you are right, if you just keep denying it. Um, you know, that there's... Uh, um, I keep referencing other people, but I've just been so fortunate to have people like so many people like yourself who are just like so experienced and no no such good but um the sunny stroller she she said there's two types of risk uh and I, I for the life of me i'm trying to remember the title she gave but to paraphrase awfully she said that essentially there's immediate risk um which sometimes can't be controlled can't be predicted and that is in your face need to do something and then there's what usually people end up failing on which is a very small little bad decision and then another small bad decision and then something else, you know, maybe you should have taken up your foot because you're feeling a bit funny. And then maybe, oh, actually, you know, like you should have stopped there and done this. And and then before you know it, you're fucked <laughs> and yeah. you have made yeah. and, and you can't really fix it because you that you should have fixed it about 10, 10 mistakes ago. And the, but now you're in a situation where now you're now you're just screwed. 
Um, yeah. So I like the idea of just checking in uh, the five out of 10 sort of idea of, of just going, okay, what, what am I experiencing right now? And something I tell Penny directly actually is, um, you know, I say, this is tough, but you are tougher. So I kind of, I'm not a big believer in denying something, you know, it's something scary. I'm not a big believer in going, yeah, oh, it's not scary unless it's positive sar- sarcasm, which could, that, that can come as humor at the right time. Um, going, oh, no, that's fine. <laughs> you know, you're looking down a vertical <laughs> drop sort of thing. Um, but being honest in the situation is going to be so much better moving moving through it than just going, oh, no, it'll be fine. Just don't look down. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Just don't look down. <laughs> yeah. Just interesting. When, we were in, when I was in Scotland and, you know, the two guys, I was climbing with a guide and another guy. And we were doing tunnel vision. And the guide said, right, we're going to be at the crux of the route. And I looked up at it. And I thought, oh, God, and that this fear was starting to well up in me, like mentally rationing, working through things. And then I looked at both of them. And I said, I want you guys to know I'm feeling a bit scared right now. And it's so feminine, you know, that I felt like very feminine thing. Oh, my God, I'm a bit scared right now. But it's the truth to say, hey, like, I've looked at this. This is making me feel a bit wobbly. I just want you to know I'm still going to fucking smash it. I absolutely know that because I know what I'm capable of. But I just want you to know that if I go slowly through this route, I've still got it. And if you felt like saying, hey, Kate, you've got this, I'd be so grateful. You know, then all of a sudden, the guy, the other guy I'm climbing with said, yeah, I, I, I'd like to add on to that. I feel the same. <laughs> and it was suddenly just like, it was suddenly okay. And then we, of course, we both moved through it beautifully, but it's that acceptance. And that it's not bad to say, hey, I'm a bit nervous. or so this makes me feel a bit wobbly. It's good to talk about it. It's it's no weakness. Um, yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. It's it's I, I actually think it's selfish and selfless in in both good ways. Selfish because mm. you're able to, you know, literally release some pressure by verbalizing and and putting and putting what you're internalizing, putting it out there. So it, it's it's shared rather than just all boiling up yeah. inside you. But also, it and, and I kind of learned this through minor situations, but the hard way by doing it rather than, you know, thinking about it and, and you know, make, make sure I never make the mistake. It's selfless because you're also communicating with your team. It's not just you in that group on that mountain. And, you know, f- for me, it was my foot. Uh, you know, we we had such a, I don't know, I've done an episode on this. We had such a disgusting weekend, yet beautiful weekend in Wales, my friend and I. Um, the first day we failed Penavan. It's 886 meters and we failed it. Like it, it, it was just, yeah, that's a whole other episode, literally. But um, but the next day, because of how we dealt with the first day, my foot was kind of hurting a lot. Um, and he even asked me a couple of times on the way up. Uh, he, said, he said, you're right, mate. And I went, yeah, totally fine. Let's keep moving. Uh, and I just blocked it. And then on the way yeah. back down, I was like, oh, my foot's kind of bad, actually. And he, and he went, he went, just stop. Like, just stop. Take the boot off. It's going to take two seconds and we're going to be able to tape up your foot. And you know what? A, f- a few weeks later, I interviewed John Gupta, who said who the phrase "be bollard," and now I always try and remember that. Like f- for that same reason, you, you, there's, there's other people on your team. Just be bollard. It takes. It might be annoying, but ultimately, it might be a minute or two. Like or wait, like and also just letting them know. Yeah, and but also the mental space that that when you're bothered about something, you know, if you've got zero to a hundred of mental space, you know, whatever's bothering you is taking up a certain percentage of that. You know, and the rest of it, you know, you're reducing your risk assessment. You're reducing your attention to other things that you really should be looking at. 
Um, so yeah, I think that's that's a great word of advice. Be bothered. Yeah, and it's a bit like a kettle as well, isn't it? Like if if you keep having these things, like if you imagine, like I always try to be at zero to ten degrees Celsius, but sometimes in life. You, you're spending each day at 90 degrees Celsius and it only takes a little little bit to get you to 100 and you're boiling and and it's horrible and it might just be that your foot's hurting not telling anyone you're feeling a bit scared not telling anyone I'll tell you what you could probably adjust your back your backpack because that's starting to dig into your shoulders quite badly but you're not telling anyone then you get a little bit where it's the crux of the climb <laughs> and that you're already yeah. at 90 <laughs> and you can't do the bit yeah, you need to do yeah, you have broken through the five out of ten. You are officially at chaos. <laughs> yeah, you're officially at chaos. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah, you have reached chaos. Congratulations, you are fucked. <laughs> yeah, big celebration. <laughs> well, and that's actually quite nice that that you brought up Scotland too, because I kind of wanted to. We we've got these big mountains. We talk about these big mountains, Killy, Elbrus. Uh, we we touched on Aconcagua briefly, and then obviously we got the Sacred Mountain. And you describe Scotland as having a vibe. Uh, I mean, how oh. for you that recent trip that you had to had to Glencoe? How was that for you and Fort William, obviously? Oh, it was just it was so beautiful. It's just, just such it's so lovely. Honestly, I find in comparison the Alps, and I'm not talking the Alps down because I love. I love climbing there but there's so much ego and like people just trying to be badass and like not really considering one another considering the environment and I just find Scotland so low-key you know and it's also like low-key dangerous because people don't people think like oh they're nervous you know like my family I have to laugh (laughs) I said you know today we you know we did a route up being nervous and my mother-in-law basically kind of stipulated that it was, you know, oh, so she's she's walking. I thought, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what? <laughs> you know, so so many people look at look at Scotland and they think, oh nice, but it's actually really fucking dangerous. And I love that, that like excitement and surprise that this reputation that Scotland hasn't formed yet in comparison to a lot of the stuff in the Alps. Uh, and I love that like low key vibe. You're kind of going in, and you have to be on your toes. Um, but yeah, there is such a nice vibe in Scotland. Everyone says hi to each other. You know, it's the guiding community is really small, so people know each other, which can be a plus and minus. But in general, it's a really it's a beautiful, beautiful place to start your technical technical skills. I would have said. Yeah, because it's incredible. You can do anything from hill walking to, right through to proper winter mountaineering uh, and it's yeah. incredible in fact the mountain track uh, i was reading the other day up ben nevis um is the only walkable route up um ben ben nevis um, in that they're including the cmd arrest they're including that as a climbing sort of a, a technical route because it's, you know, there's a bit of knife edge and a bit of scrambling um so the mountain track is the only one that you can just use two feet only and just move move on up um mm. yeah i mean it, it's it's customizable isn't it uh, you, know, you can you can you can make it what, what you want whereas i feel like a, a lot of other places it is what it is and you have to deal with it yeah well, i mean in the alps if you're in the Monterosa area and the conditions are shit that's what you're stuck with you know you either have to pick up and drive you know a couple of hours away and do something you know, in scotland you can you know approach a mountain from a different side or do this or do that and there's just so many options and um so many different routes and like 
skills required for it. And and, and that's what I, I love about climbing in Scotland. Uh, you know, knife edge ridges and gullies and ah, traverses. I mean, the, the array of what you can do there is just fantastic. So, I mean, thinking about the future, you've you've got such an incredible adventure CV, which is a really cool phrase, I think. <laughs> I know, but maybe some people like don't it. like it, but it's an adventure CV. Um, you know, it, we, we talked about that route up Mont Blanc, but is there anything, uh, and also on Instagram too, you've talked about your love-hate relationship with dry tooling. <laughs> um, but <laughs> wow. um, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, is is there anything, you know, a, a, you know, we've we've been diving into so much is there anything that in the future you really want to go out and achieve is there is there some sort of like a target at the moment that you want to be able to grasp before moving on to the next thing definitely i've got peaks lined up and i'm planning on doing my first eight thousand meter peak in in two years and i haven't told anyone this but this kind of feels like it's been something i've been wanting to talk about for a while so I've got this thing in my hand, it's called Dupuytren's contracture. And it's basically when the ligaments shorten and eventually your hands end up closed. I think Maggie, Maggie Thatcher had it. And there's nothing you can do about it. There's, there's, all you can do is continuously have the ligaments cut and opened, but your hand will eventually close after about six months, eight months. So I feel like my time of technical mountaineering is limited. Um, which is making me really conscious of what I really want to do and understanding at what point what point at what point does the risk change? Because with the contracture, it's it's fine now. Sometimes my finger will get stuck. Um, but you know, if you if you're climbing somewhere and you've got your ice axe and your finger gets stuck, you know, or you know, with your rope or anything like that, you put yourself at risk and anyone else who's with you. So I'm kind of navigating my way through that mentally, emotionally, and physically. But I've definitely got a plan for the next couple of years. And one thing that's really, I would really like to do, um, if I had to call this quits, would be an 8,000 meter peak. Um, I'm open to which one it would be. The ego part of me says Everest, <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> but I'm 100% open to um, different routes, different, and a different option. But yeah, I've got Matterhorn planned for September on the Italian side and um, the Jubilamsgrad between uh, Zugspitze and Alpspitze. It's a beautiful 12K, sorry, 8 or 12K, I can't remember, ridgeline that you just, another route that once you commit, you've really just got to go for it. Um, so over, yeah, over the next couple of years, I've kind of noted down routes that I really want to do that are really important to me. And that after that, after those two years, if I'm still able to climb and it's still safe, then, you know, then I'm sure I'll have a list, an even bigger list. Um, But I am aware that whatever I do right now needs to count and needs to matter on the off chance that in a few years I can't do technical routes anymore. Um, So, yeah. Oh, I feel a bit (laughs) bit funny sharing that. (laughs) It's been something I wanted to talk to you about for a long time because – yeah, I th- I'm not obviously I'm not the only person with it. I'm not the only mountaineer or climber. And um, you know, it's a limiting aspect or can be a limiting aspect if you let it. And everyone has that in their own way. Um yeah. Yeah, no, I, I can 
I can, yeah, I can completely understand that. Uh, absolutely. My, yeah. My mom has, um, um, uh, I think oh, for, for some reason, the name completely escapes me, but I think it's glucoma, glucoma, uh, yeah. the, 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 the blindness in the eye basically. And at the moment it's yeah. all, it's all being held off just fine, but it's made me realize, you know, that's a genetic thing. <laughs> And what if, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be in my twenties. So I mean, I'm really grasping onto that. I'm 30 in a couple of months, but I'm still technically in my twenties. All right. Leave me alone. Um, <laughs> um, you know, for me, it's la- landscapes as well as the challenge, the physical challenge for me is landscapes. And, and, you know, I, I have a fear that, um, you know, one day I won't, I literally won't be able to see these landscapes. So, so yeah, I can, I can kind of massively relate to that. You know, what, what I do now has to, has to count. So, yeah. yeah. And if you, if you turn that, if you turn that perspective around, you can find so much joy in it. Mm-hmm. You know, that you don't look at the landscape from, you don't just pass it by. You really stop and look at it and appreciate it and take it all in everything, the light, the colors, the smell, the feeling, wind on your skin. You know, and it's the same with my hand. Every, you know, I came back from Scotland just feeling so fucking grateful that I, I can still, I can do this. And then a few years time, that might that might not be the case. And again, instead of giving into fear and doubt and what if, I'm going to fucking enjoy it while I can. I'm going to like balls to the wall. Let's just go for it. You know, and it's going to happen for me. I know it's going to happen at some point. So I might as well enjoy it while I can. Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but listen, to 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 round I mean, I feel like there's still so much left on the table. Um, but uh, yeah, to, to round it off, um, I've got one and a half questions left. Uh, and I, I've been a bit lax asking this the last last few episodes, but but let's go for this time. So really the last question for me is of that entire adventure CV so far, what is one moment that you would love to relive? Oh, I think, oh God, there's so many. There's so many. Honestly, I think it was, I think it was summiting, I think it was summiting Aconcagua because by that point, I had really developed a system, a system, systematic training approach. And I had it locked down on key. I like I tested everything religiously. I had my husband with me who it was an appalling experience for him, and he has never climbed a mountain since. But I got to the top. Firstly, I have a, like a sticking point between 5,000 meters and 5,500 where I will get sick. I will vomit, have headaches. But once I get past that, I um, I don't want to be arrogant, but like I really thrive above that. It's just that little patch that's shit. Um, and the whole expedition, I had really been hanging out at the back. And this is a little bit of ego talking. Um, especially as a woman, we, you know, it was a predominantly male team. And on that summit night, I was like on form. It was just beautiful. Everything was perfect, like mentally, physically, everything just lined up. And I got to the summit and I stood there and I didn't feel like, I didn't feel exhausted or depleted. I felt like I could give so much more, so much more. And that the mountain hadn't taken everything from me. There was like this, this part of me that remained mine, you know, and in this moment, my husband came up absolutely exhausted <laughs> and this moment to be on the summit with him. And it was new year's day and it was just so joyful. And we had had a really shitty time 
camping together and making it up to the summit. I don't recommend climbing with your husband. <laughs> and it was just this accumulation of standing on the summit with him and hugging him and kissing him and knowing that we had made it and that even though he was tired, we were both in a really good physical place to get down safely. And that, you know, that feeling, that knowing, it means you can enjoy everything around you and all the moments without doubt in your mind. Um, I think that's definitely the one that stands out the most. There's, I mean, of course, there's been thousands of moments that, uh, but to do, you know, to do something like that with my husband and um, to feel that way at the summit is, is felt like a real achievement. And the fact that we're still married says a lot. <laughs> <laughs> the strength is there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, listen, and the last half question I've got is um, if anyone wants to sort of keep up with your adventures and, um, and and all the all the training advice that you dish out and 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 follow follow along with you with that, where's the best place to do that? I'm um, definitely Instagram. So my profile name is at kate.zielman. And um, I'm busy relaunching my website at the moment and working on new blogs and getting new content out that are going to a much uh, much greater detail than than the stuff that I put out on Instagram. Um, so that would also be a place. And my website is www.kate. What's the minus sign called, Chris? Uh, dash. That, is, dash. Dash. Zilman.com. <laughs> 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 Perfect. And listen, I'll, I'll put those in the show notes. And what I'll also put in the show notes too is a um um is I might, I might try and find a generic link, not just the Amazon link, but to your book um as well, which um it w- would would be a fantastic investment. Although this is not official investment advice for anyone listening, um I do recommend it. <laughs> um, but listen, Kate, thank you so much thank for coming you. on. That's that honestly that was that was incredible. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Chris. It was a wonderful, really special first podcast appreciate your time.